0: Hi, this is Phil Del Rey, bringing you a series on Roman Catholicism. This is part four, entitled, Is Catholicism an Apostate Denomination? I'm speaking to you from the studio in my home, and before I get into the message, it is important that I reiterate, this series is not about what an individual Catholic may or may not believe. I am convinced that there are people raised in Catholic homes who belong to Catholic churches who are saved. What is at issue here is the official position of the Roman Catholic Church, which they claim are infallible. This, however, is not to excuse any individual Roman Catholic or let him off the hook based on ignorance. If I discovered that my church was teaching heresy on the major tenets of the Christian faith, or that the pastor was involved in gross negligence or immoral behavior, at that point I too would be accountable before God, and I would share a responsibility for either getting the situation corrected or for leaving that church as a testimony to others." The Apostle Paul is abundantly clear in Romans chapter 2 when he said that the name of God was blasphemed among unbelievers because of hypocrites. To support the Roman Catholic Church with your attendance and your financial contributions, which, by the way, the Roman Catholic Church is without question the richest entity on the face of the earth, To support them by attending and giving your financial contributions is to endorse its doctrine and its unwillingness to repent of its blatant heresy, which I have documented in the first three messages of this series. Since many of the Reformers were tortured and killed in the fight to translate the Bible in the common language. There is no excuse for anyone who calls himself a Christian not knowing the word of God and being able to defend the Christian faith. In Jude 3, we find, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all, delivered to the saints. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, But examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. The biblical principle is clear. To whom much is given, much will be required. How serious is the problem of Roman Catholicism not agreeing with the scriptures, and in many instances contradicting clearly what the scriptures teach concerning the major doctrines and tenets of the Christian faith. Consider this. The first time Satan is mentioned in the Bible is right in the beginning in both the Old and the New Testaments. In Genesis chapter 3, we find this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. God says, You shall, and Satan says, You shall not. In the New Testament, 1st book, chapter 4, verse 3, And the tempter came to him, that is, Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. This is most instructive. The devil's most powerful and effective weapon is to question the authority of God's word and or to take it out of context. Brothers and sisters, to this day, taking the Bible out of context is without a doubt the number one reason for false doctrine and division in the church. Satan's ploy is to downplay the word of God, to distort the word of God, and to discredit the word of God any way he can. Now this morning, I would like to look first of all and how the Roman Catholic Church actually began. The Vatican claims that it began in the first century with the Apostle Peter as the first Pope, and in 1870, the first Vatican Council issued this statement, I quote, Peter, the Prince and Chief of the Apostles, the pillar of faith and foundation of the Catholic Church, received the keys of the kingdom from our Lord Jesus Christ, and lives, presides, and judges to this day and always in his successors the bishops of the Holy See of Rome, which was founded by him and consecrated by his blood. Whence whoever succeeds to Peter in this see does by the institution of Christ himself obtained the primacy of Peter over the whole church. The Roman pontiff possesses the primacy over the whole world. Close quote. The Vatican claims to have a succession of 265 popes going all the way back to the first century beginning with Peter in Rome. Now, Here is the who, what, where, when, and why, and how the Roman Church actually began. The fact of the matter is, the Church, the true Church of Jesus Christ, began in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, after the ascension of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, Israel, not in Rome, Italy. At the time the Church began, Rome was filled with paganism. There was a God to pray to when you were going on a trip, a God for business deals, a God for this, and a God for that. The fact of the matter is, it was when Constantine, who was an occultist himself, and whose mother was a fortune teller, took over Rome in 312 AD. That is when the Roman Empire became known as the Holy Roman Empire. Constantine had a vision, supposedly, where he claimed he saw the cross of Christ with the sun behind it. Interestingly, Constantine was a sun worshiper, and as a result, his army put a cross on their shields in the final battle that made Constantine emperor. Constantine credited Jesus Christ with the victory for the battle, but never renounced his position as Pontifex Maximus, which is the head of the pagan priesthood. It was when Constantine came to power that Christianity became the official state religion in Rome and eventually became known as Roman Catholicism. Please remember, all the Roman emperors prior to Constantine were worshipped as God and were called Caesar. Constantine accepted the term vicar or vicar of Christ, which means in the place of. The Greek equivalent to vicar is anti or antichrist. It was Constantine who mixed paganism with Christianity, and it was Constantine who called the first ecumenical church council at Nicaea in 325. Constantine became the father of the new church, and Helena was referred to as the mother of the church. It was because of that unholy alliance between church and state that pagan Rome became, quote, Christianized and all the proof you will ever need to discover this truth for yourself is to find the answer to the question, how is it that the resurrection of Jesus Christ became known as Easter and the birth of Jesus Christ became known as Christmas? I challenge you, TO GO TO THE LIBRARIES YOURSELF AND DISCOVER THE TRUTH FOR YOURSELF, YOU WILL DISCOVER IT IS WHEN PAGAN ROME MIXED WITH CHRISTIANITY AND ROME BECAME CHRISTIANIZED. FROM THERE IT WAS ALL DOWNHILL AND THE HERESY BECAME WORSE AND WORSE. IN A.D. 593, PURGATORY WAS INTRODUCED. This was the idea that there was a place of fire where you could go where you would have to go after death to further purge your venial sins, which were the sins that Christ's death on the cross could not atone for. The doctrine of purgatory gave the church absolute control over its people, since the church now claimed that it and it alone had the power to forgive sins. It also became the greatest fundraiser ever. The doctrine of purgatory is without a doubt one of the greatest lies that has ever been presented to the mind of man. The obvious implication of the false doctrine of purgatory is that Christ's death was ineffective, insufficient, and imperfect. In AD 600, now it's prayer to Mary and the saints. Yet the Bible forbids praying to anyone except God alone. It also forbids the idea of contacting the dead. Then it was kissing the Pope's foot and the canonization of dead saints. Then in A.D. 1079, they came up with the celibacy of the priesthood, which has proven to be a total disaster. Interestingly, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1... God says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Then in 1090, they developed praying the rosary, which has ten prayers to Mary for every prayer to Jesus. Yet in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us the perfect principles for praying perfectly when he said, pray in this way, our mother who art in heaven? No, it actually says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In A.D. 12.15, it was transubstantiation and the confessing of sins to a priest who alone has the authority on earth to forgive your sin, according to Roman Catholicism, and transubstantiation is the idea that the priest has the power to turn bread and wine into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, and if you don't believe that, according to the canons and decrees of the Council of Trent, the Catholic Church CURSES YOU AND DAMNS YOU TO HELL FOREVER. THE LIST GOES ON AND ON AND ON. THE SEVEN SACRAMENTS, INDULGENCES, AND ON IT GOES. YET IF WE READ THE SCRIPTURES IN GALATIANS CHAPTER 1, VERSE 6, THE APOSTLE PAUL CURSED AS HERETICS, THE Judaizers OF HIS DAY, FOR ADDING ANYTHING TO THE GOSPEL. We are all but certain that these people believed all the major tenets of the Christian faith, and yet they wanted to add one thing to complete the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and Paul said they were cursed for doing so. Brothers and sisters, I say that in the context of Roman Catholic dogma. The Canons and Decrees of the Council of Trent, chapter 12, have thirty-one items relating to how a person is justified or saved. I can only read one. It's enough. I quote, No one, moreover, no one, moreover, so long as he lives this mortal life, ought in regard to the sacred mystery of divine predestination so far presume as to state with absolute certainty that he is among the number of the predestined, as if it were true that the one justified either cannot sin any more, or if he does sin, that he ought to promise himself an assured repentance. For except by special revelation, it cannot be known whom God has chosen to himself. It goes on to state that if you claim that you know you are one of God's predestined for heaven, you are anathema. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something from my heart. There is not a man on earth who can dictate to God what your eternal destiny will be, except you Rome says no one can know in this life if he is one of the predestined going to heaven unless you have a special revelation. With all due respect, brothers and sisters, the Bible is referred to by theologians as special revelation. And in the Bible, 1 John 5, verse 13, it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know... That you have eternal life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Word of God says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God help us. In closing, the reason it is vitally important. For Christians to know the truth and to know how to defend their faith and what they believe using a Bible. Imagine, if you will, for a minute that I start a church. You walk into our church and you'd like to see our doctrinal statement. Our doctrinal statement contains the following articles. Now, this is just imaginary now. Number one, we are the only church that has the truth. And as such, there is salvation in no other. Period. Number two. You are incapable of interpreting, interpreting the Bible yourself. Only I and those I appoint can correctly interpret the Bible for you. Therefore, you should not read the Bible, and you must obey what I teach. Three. Three. When on matters of faith, morals, philosophy, and natural law, I am incapable of deceiving or being deceived, I am immune from error, my doctrine is infallible, and if you don't believe it, curse you to hell. 4. Our church tradition has more authority than the Bible. 5. Only I and those I appoint have the authority on earth to forgive sin. We are apostles. 6. My mother was born without sin and was assumed into heaven. 7. You must pray to her first to have your prayers answered by God. 8. I can pray over a piece of bread and a glass of wine and turn it into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. And if you don't agree with that, damn you to hell. Next, if you do not agree with all our canons and decrees, we have the authority to send you to hell, but we cannot promise you a place in heaven. Furthermore, There are more than 125 more articles of faith that contain anathemas or eternal damnation upon anyone who does not agree with our canons and decrees. Furthermore, that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was not sufficient to atone for your sins. You have to add to Christ's death seven sacraments. Then after death you will spend time in a place of fire for an unspecified amount of time, perhaps thousands or even tens of thousands of years to further purify you, to prepare you for heaven. After all that, you still do not qualify to get into heaven. God has to go to a treasure chest known as the treasury of the communion of the saints that contains all the merits, all the good works, financial contributions of all the other saints that died before you. And it is those merits that will be accounted to you in order to further satisfy God's judgment and to make you holy enough to get into heaven. And if you were fortunate enough while on earth to walk through a door, crawl up some stairs, because those stairs were the stairs that Jesus walked on before he saw Pontius Pilate, you can shorten your time in purgatory. Brothers and sisters, I hope you get the point. If I started a church and made those claims, every cult watcher in the world would call me the greatest flaming heretic on the face of the earth, and rightfully so. And yet because Roman Catholicism has been around for 1,500 years and because we have family and friends involved in the deception, we ignore it, deny it, excuse it, tolerate it, and stick our heads in the sand. As for those who say, well, the Catholic Church is changing, friend, I just painted the shed in my backyard. It changed. It looks a lot different, but the change is entirely superficial. The structure of the shed is still the same. I went to a Catholic church last week, and I asked the deacon if I could shorten a loved one's time in purgatory by making an offering to the church. The deacon told me it would not be the money that would shorten the time in purgatory, but the mass that would be said on behalf of the dead. There are others who, in an attempt to justify staying in the Catholic Church, would say, they don't teach that at my church. My priest doesn't believe all that. Really? If your priest would say that, I would ask you, I would challenge you to ask your priest, would you mind saying that in front of the bishop? I assure you if he does, he'll be looking for a job tomorrow. I have a dear friend who was a priest who boldly stated that his denomination was an apostate denomination. When the bishop found out, he was looking for a new job after 20 years in the priesthood. And it's not something he was preaching publicly. It was his private opinion. I would like to leave you with the words that God himself left us with in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. The last four verses, 18 through 21, say this. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. May God bless you with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding that you might rightly divide the word of truth and know him better and have enough concern and enough love for Catholic people to tell them the truth in love and hopefully lead as many to Christ as possible. If any Catholics go to heaven, it will be in spite of the Catholic Church, not because of it. I say that in love as a former Roman Catholic myself. I am not a Catholic basher, It is the canons and decrees of the Council of Trent that condemn me to hell according to the Roman Catholic Church, but that is not found in my Bible. My Bible assures me if I love Jesus Christ, my salvation is assured. I pray peace unto your house in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Amen.